The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. This morning, our text, all that we have sung about is about the reality of trusting who Jesus is and what he's done. No matter where you would find yourself today, he is the God of the impossible. And there is a woman in the Bible that we're going to look at this morning that was facing an impossible situation. And we're going to look at the, the manner in which she approached her relationship with God, the, the manner in which she pursued who Jesus is, is really, really important. And we have much to learn about faith from her this morning. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here on this beautiful day. Beautiful fall is in the air. We look forward to that, the changing of the season. I do love this picture. There's something about the fall season and the change of the colors as we drive around. Um, I, I want to begin this morning with a, with a story. It's a true story about a, a mom and her love for her son who had a disability. When Summer Spence expressed his desire to attend college, uh, many people kind of scoffed at the idea because he suffered from cerebral palsy. Summer couldn't read books because his eyes couldn't focus. Um, he couldn't hold on to things very well because his hands would clench uncontrollably. Uh, taking notes in a classroom would have been out of the question. Anyone who knew Sumner would have thought that it would be perfectly understandable if he never set a goal other than uh, learning how to operate his wheelchair and maybe finding a job. But that wasn't good enough for Sumner, and it certainly wasn't good enough for his mother, Susan Spence. Despite the seemingly insurmountable odds, Sumner Spence enrolled at the University of Delaware. His mother attended all his classes, faithfully taking notes for him. Each evening, she would enter the lecture notes into a special computer uh, whose digital voice read the notes back to Sumner as he studied over the course of two and a half years. Susan Spence scanned more than 5,000 texts of material from a textbook and edited and scanned the text for accuracy so Sumner could effectively study. One particular class assignment called for Sumner's mother to go the extra mile. The students were asked to read Liam Callahan's first novel, The Cloud Atlas. Uh, the famous author, author was going to be on campus. He was going to be a guest lecturer on campus at the end of the semester. And so Sumner's mom was not aware of a, an electronic version of the book. So basically she got the book and she retyped the entire book into her home computer. When the class hosted an informal lunch to chat about Callahan's book, Sumner offered a number of insightful observations and questions. Later that evening, the author Callahan received a phone call from the professor of the class. Sumner's mom had just spoken with the professor, tearfully telling her how before that meal, Sumner had never eaten in public with anyone other than a family member. He was always afraid he would repulse people who didn't understand. Since he loved reading, though, he, went, he wanted to talk about the books. And so he went to lunch that way and took the opportunity to be a part of it. A couple of years later, on the evening of May 24, 2007, Susan Spence took a seat in the back of her auditorium as she walked as Sumner wheeled himself across the platform to receive his Associate of Arts degree. After addressing his fellow graduates at the commencement ceremony, more than 300 students and family members in attendance erupted in a standing ovation for this determined boy and his loving mother. That's a pretty incredible story of what a mom would do when all of the odds are stacked against her son and because of the condition that he's in. This mom uh, came alongside, not, not just to help, but she probably had faith in him beyond what other people did. I, I share this story with you because 
maybe it gives us an understanding of the, of the heart of a mom for her child. Because we come to the Gospel of Mark, and what we have in the Gospel of Mark it is it's a woman. And she is way on the outside. Way on the outside of, of Judea. Way on the outside. She is definitely an outsider. And, and she comes to Jesus in a desperate situation for her daughter. Her daughter has been uh, is, is demon-possessed. And, and she's begging, and she's going to come to Jesus and, and beg him for help. And what Jesus is doing, Jesus is going to help her, but he does it in the most unorthodox of ways. If we truly look at the Bible, and we realize that at times there are hard sayings in the Bible, maybe there's things in there that we don't fully understand. And I think if we're honest with the text, we kind of look at this and we read this, uh, this text and we scratch our heads and we're like, did Jesus do that? Did, did Jesus just say that to this woman who has a, a daughter who's demon-possessed? And I think what we do is when we look at our text this morning, we have a a, a text that, that reveals something about the true picture of Jesus and, and why he came to earth. Jesus is going to reveal something about his identity and something to the disciples about what he has actually called them to do and what they will be a part of in the future. If you haven't turned there, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going on a road trip, if you will. We're wandering the journey. And maybe uh, as Jesus um, goes on this journey, we would be winding up the road. He's going to leave uh, maybe the, the area of Capernaum. We don't know exactly where it is, but he's going to go some 35 miles, if you will. He's going to go north to the city of Tyre. And we, we has this interaction with this woman, and we read the text here in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. What we see is a different side of Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 7, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. And the demon has left your daughter. Verse 30, she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. I don't know about you, but when I read this text, I kind of go, hmm, was Jesus ignoring this woman? Did he really call her a dog? And who are her children? What's this bread? And I don't know about you, but it kind of raises some questions in my mind about who Jesus is and why he might respond in this way. And we have the privilege of walking through it and seeing what we might learn about this woman of faith. Father, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the example of Jesus. The psalmist said, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. And, and we pray that this morning because of the word of God points us to the person of Jesus. And Father, we, we have the opportunity to study this woman. We don't even know her name. And she's a hurting woman. And uh, she comes to Jesus, and she is absolutely relentless in what she desired from him. Father, I pray that if any of us here this morning that are in that place, we don't know exactly what's going on in our life, and maybe Jesus seems a little distant, Father, that we would simply learn from you and from this word this morning. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I, I want to make a couple of observations as we begin this morning. First of all, the significance of this passage is there are two times in the Bible, two times in the New Testament, where Jesus draws attention to a person of great faith. The first was the Roman centurion. 
He came to Jesus and he asked Jesus to do something. And Jesus highlighted a pagan, a Roman centurion's faith. And the second time that Jesus draws attention to a person of faith is this woman. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew's parallel account, and by the way, we're going to be going back from, from Mark to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 7 and, and Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be going back and forth. And in Matthew's account, it says this. He says this to the woman. Woman, you, have, you are of a great faith. Your request is, is granted. And so we, we have this idea of draw, Jesus drawing attention to a woman of great faith. Something that we should take note of. The second observation I want to make is, is this, that we need to make sure that we understand this segment of Scripture in the broader context of Mark chapter 7. When you go back and look at Mark chapter 7, we see some themes in there. And one of the major themes is this idea of inside and outside. That the, the religious leaders, the elders of the law, the Pharisees, they're on the inside. Why are they on the inside? Because they do all the right things. They follow the teaching of the elders and they wash their hands and they do all of these other ceremonial things that declare that they are in a right relationship with God. And if you do all of these other things, you are on the other side. You are on the outside. And if there was ever a woman who was on the wrong side of the tracks, if there was ever a woman who was an outsider, it's this woman that would even know her name of. I want you to look at the boundaries that Jesus crosses, if you will, to get there, first of all, there's a, there's a kind of a, a geographical boundary. Verse 24 says this, Jesus left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. Jesus is no longer around the area of Galilee. Was he around Capernaum? We don't necessarily know. Was he around the Sea of Galilee? We don't know. He's traveled 35 miles to the north. He's gone from here. He's gone to Ellsbury and he's walking around the city of Tyre. And what we know about the city of Tyre from history is this. The people of Tyre didn't like the Jewish people. There was a lot of animosity with the Jewish people, if you will. In the Old Testament, the people of Tyre long oppressed the people of Israel. They had taken their gold and their silver and sold the Jewish people to the Greeks in Joel chapter 3. verse 4. And the Jewish people remembered that, and it would have been in their heart, it would have been in their mind. The Jewish historian said this, about the Jewish people and the people of Tyre. Notorious, they are our bitterest enemies. The hatred for these people ran incredibly deep. And Jesus has left the confines of Palestine, and he's gone way north, and he's gone into a geographical area where the people hated each other. And they're walking. They're walk, let's say they're walking down the road. At some point, do you think that the, the, the disciples are going, where, where, by the way, where are we going? We don't, we don't normally go to this side of the tracks. We don't go this far in the territory. So there's a geographical barrier. The, the other barrier is this. She was an outsider. Verse 26 says this. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She's a Greek. She's raised on the language and the culture and the philosophy of the Greek. She was steeped in this Greek culture. When you look at Matthew's account, he calls her a Canaanite woman. If you know anything about the Old Testament, God at one particular time told the, the nation of Israel, the people, to go destroy the Canaanites. Why? Because they're idolatrous people. They're evil people. They, they give their children over to Moloch. They give their children over to be sacrificed. This woman is on the wrong side of the tracks because she's a Greek. So there's a geographical boundary. There's this ethnic cultural boundary. And, and there's another thing. She's, she's a woman. Jewish men, Jewish people had very little association with women. A, a Jewish rabbi would, would not allow a woman to see it at his feet and teach her. 
They even had, a, the ancient rabbis had a saying that went like this. He that talks with the womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's pretty serious in my book. That if you do this, you're going to invite yourself to hell, if you will. There was also a, a, a narrow set called the, uh, the bleeding, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Anybody ever heard of the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees? You know what they did? They didn't want to see a woman. They, they felt like if they saw a woman, there might be a temptation for them to, um, to lust or do something else. So they, they would simply cover their eyes. And they were called bruised and bleeding because they would run into things. The bruised, they, they would run into things because they did not want to be uh, looking at a woman with the idea that possibly they might be tempted. That's how strict they lived their lives. So there's a geographical barrier here. There's an ethnic barrier, a cultural barrier. There's a gender barrier. And the last thing is this. Her daughter is unclean. Her daughter was unclean. She was possessed by an evil spirit, by an unclean spirit. And all of this is going on in the life of this woman. And, and, and if you're a, a, a Jewish person and you're reading the gospel of Matthew and all of a sudden you come to this section of scripture where the geographical bounds have been stretched and the ethnic bounds have been stretched and this woman's here, you've got to be going in your mind, what in the world is going on here? And what Jesus does is he lifts this woman up as what? A person of great faith. This is a woman of great faith. And maybe what Jesus is doing and maybe what the Bible is doing is this. Maybe what we're doing is seeing the heart of Jesus breaking down the barriers that surround him. And, and maybe it's a reminder for us to not put people in categories. I'm not going to cross the street. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in a box. I'm not going to put this other person in, in a box so that I can find my message to a certain group of people. Don't we do that? Don't we do that? It's interesting, a guy by the name of Spurgeon, he, he, he's got a phrase that he uses, and, and I love this phrase. Listen to what he says. He says, let us always plow to the very end of the field and serve our day and generation to the extreme limits of the sphere. Let us always plow to the very end of the field. Isn't that great? And maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to the, to the borders. He's crossing all of these borders. And he's going to teach a lesson to the disciples. And he's going to teach a lesson to the woman. And he's going to teach a lesson to us about what it looks like to have great faith. So, oh, so if Jesus is lifting up this woman as a woman of great faith, what might we be able to learn? What are some things that you and I can go away with with this idea of great faith? Number one is this. People of great faith, they, they admit their need. There's no doubt Jesus and the disciples were aware of all of the barriers that were confronted. There's no doubt about that. But so did this woman. So did this woman. She knew about every one of those barriers. And you know what she did? She went and found Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, that Jesus is doing a lot of miracles. And the people from Judea and, and uh Tyre and, and Sidon, this, this area, they, they came to Jesus. And there were so many, there were so many crowds of people that it says they were crushing themselves. They were all coming together. Why? Because they came together to listen and to be around this miracle worker, Jesus. So there's no doubt in my mind, people saw and experienced, people from Tyre saw and experienced what was going on in the life of Jesus. And they went back to their hometowns and they began to tell other people about this miracle worker. And no doubt in my mind that she had she had heard 
this desperate one had heard about this miracle worker. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, okay, I mean, I, we need to get away. We need rest, relaxation. The Pharisees are coming at us. We're going to go away. We're going to get out of Israel. We're going to get out of, of this area. And we're going to go to the region, the city of Tyre. And we're going we're to get into this house because we need some rest. We need some relaxation. We just need some time to get away. And this woman finds Jesus. This woman finds Jesus. You ever wonder what it took for her to find Jesus? You know, we read these stories and we just kind of blow them off. There's no TVs. There's no, no signs. Jesus, 500 yards to the right. And it, she doesn't even know where he's at. The villages? We don't know what village. I don't know what street. You know time. I mean, and, and what does this, this woman do? She goes on a house-to-house search for Jesus. Why? Because she's heard something about him. She's heard something unique about him. My daughter, my daughter, I don't have any place else to go. And she's relentlessly pursuing this guy by the name of Jesus. And maybe what this tells us is this. The desperation that this woman was in. She had nowhere else to go. I would imagine as a Greek, she probably uh, tried to, to seek out help in her own religion. Maybe she went to Jewish, maybe she went to all these people. We don't know. But there's no doubt if this woman loved her daughter and knew that this, this was the condition, there's no doubt she would go to anywhere to find and to help and get relief from her daughter. And, and, and if the description of this girl, by the way, the, the, the girl's not there. You ever wonder why the girl's not there? You wonder why she's not there? Maybe. Maybe she's like the, the guy, the little boy in Mark chapter 9, where it says the, the demon would throw him on the, uh, on the ground and he would convulse and he would he'd foam at the mouth and, and, and the, the demon tried to throw him in the fire and it says he tried to kill him. Maybe that's the description here and it's so bad for her that she can't even bring him. And she just comes and she pursues Jesus. She's a desperate woman seeking for help. Have you seen this guy by the name of Jesus? I'm looking for him. I need some help. I've heard these stories about him. My daughter said, can you, can you help me find him? You know, we compress the stories in a couple of hours maybe or maybe a day. We have no idea how long this went on and what she would do. And she comes to Jesus and we read her words to Jesus in Matthew chapter 15. She says this, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's tough, suffering terribly from a demon possession. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering, suffering terribly from demon possession. Let, let me ask you something. It's just a point of application. Where do you go when you have hit the wall? Well, I mean, where do you go when you've hit, you have hit the wall and you have exhausted every human resources, resource that you can? You are at the wall and you just don't know where to go. A lot of people, what they'll do is, is they'll, they'll just get stronger. They'll pull their, uh, their, their boots on, and they'll, they'll get stronger, and, and they'll fight. And, and there's, no time, there, there's an application for that. There's, there's nothing wrong with pursuing and, and moving ahead and, and working uh, and doing all that you can to change a particular situation. But I think for us, uh, the responsibility for us is, is to look to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to help emotionally hurting people, physically hurting people, spiritually hurting people. Jesus came to help. One of the themes of the Gospel of Mark is, is to Jesus came to serve and to, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Jesus who says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened. And what? I will give you rest. And when we try to do all of those things on ourselves, what happens is we miss the beauty of Jesus and how he wants to help us. And he doesn't always help us in the exact manner in which we think that he should, coming and rescuing us. 
But what he does do is he works in all of our situations. And the woman cries out, Lord, son of David. You know what she does? She uses a term that the Jews would use for the Messiah. This is, this is a Greek woman. She says, Lord, master, son of David. That, that's a term that they would use in the Old Testament with a reference to, to the Messiah. Here's a Gentile calling Jesus by his, his identity as, as the son of David, the Messiah. And she seems to have some kind of insight beyond the disciples here. And you know what she does? She admits her need. She says, I need some help. I need some help. People of great faith come to a point in their life where they don't have any other resources. And what, what she invites us to, what the Bible invites us to do, is to admit our need and come to him and say, Jesus, will you help me where I'm at? You know what's going on more than anyone else. Will you help me? And that's what she does. She reaches out and asks Jesus for help. I, I think there's a second characteristic of this woman, and it's this. It's what happens when you don't necessarily get what you want from Jesus immediately. Well, I tried that, and it didn't work. You know, I tried praying for three days, and it didn't work. I tried praying, and my circumstances only got, only got worse. This woman doesn't give up. She does not. She perseveres. In Matthew's account, it says this, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughter is suffering terribly from a demon. She had finally found the one that she was looking for. She had finally found Jesus. And she comes and she falls at his feet. And, and she's relentlessly going after Jesus. And she's asking Jesus, she's begging Jesus, Jesus, will you help me? And in Matthew's account, it says this. She comes up to Jesus. She's begging. She's falling at his feet. And then Jesus says something incredibly different. Matthew 15, verse 23, it says this, Jesus did not answer her a word. What? Wait a minute. That can't be true. Let's, let's look at the Greek text. Is, it, is that really true that Jesus wouldn't answer her a word? Let me ask you something. Is it okay to be silent sometime? Isn't it okay to be silenced? Why, why do we do that at times? Maybe we're thinking about a response. Or maybe what we don't want to do is we don't want to respond in a way that people would think that we were. Maybe we're, maybe we're trying to articulate a respond. Silence is not necessarily a bad thing. How can this be? After listening to this emergency request from this desperate woman whose little child was demon-possessed, we get this picture of Jesus being uncaring, silent before her. Don't we understand a Jesus who is silent before the high, before the high priest? Don't we understand a Jesus who is silent before the chief priests? Don't we have a, a, a Jesus who is silent before Pilate? Don't we understand that type of Jesus who's going to be silent before those type of people? We understand that type of silence with Jesus. But this is different. This is a woman who's desperate. She's falling at the feet of Jesus, begging him for help. And it doesn't get any better. It absolutely doesn't get any better. When you look at the text in Matthew chapter 15, the disciples jump in and they want to respond. Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, this is what they say. Send her away because she keeps crying out to us. Isn't that interesting? Send her away because she keeps crying out after who? Us. Oh, I thought she was directing her attention to Jesus, the son of, the son of David. And all of a sudden the disciples are there and they're saying, you know what, Jesus, can you send her away? 
I mean, who said this? Peter, one of the sons of thunder. Here we have this Gentile woman who's on the wrong side of the tracks. Her child is unclean, and she is coming to Jesus, and she's absolutely begging Jesus for help. And I would imagine her cries are getting louder and louder because she's desperate, and she wants Jesus' attention. And the disciples want to send her away. Isn't that interesting? The disciples just want to have her go away, and their problem would be solved. There's a a popular proverb that was written about newspapers, and the proverb about newspapers went like this, that they had kind of a responsibility. Uh, The proverb went, um, the newspapers, they comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That was kind of written about newspapers and writers and things like that. Well, what has happened is some people have taken that phrase, he comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, to apply that to, to Jesus and to us. That what Jesus actually does is he comforts the afflicted like this woman and he afflicts the comfortable who is the comfortable one the disciples who's the uncomfortable one the the woman because she has a need and and I think when you look at the life of Jesus doesn't he do that at times doesn't Jesus come to us and speak hard truth into our life Jesus has done many miracles and uh, at the feeding of the, of the, uh, the 5,000, I think it is. And he talks about himself being the bread of life. And he brings on this teaching. And all of a sudden, these people want to leave. And in John chapter 6, Jesus said this to his disciples. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? If you know anything about the Bible, there's hard things in the Bible. A guy by the name of F.F. F. Bruce wrote a book. Hard sayings of Jesus. And in that book, he writes about 70 hard sayings of Jesus. You cannot read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get away from some of these hard teachings of Jesus. I am the light of the world. You must be born again. Enter by the narrow gate. All of these hard sayings of Jesus. And the question is, when we're confronted with the hard sayings of Jesus, what will we do? What would this woman do? Is she going to walk away? I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. If she walks away here, she's going to miss something from Jesus. If we walk away from the hard sayings of Jesus, maybe we miss something fundamentally about who he is and what he's done and his reason for coming to earth. And so Jesus, in Matthew's account, answers the hard saying. And notice how he shifts the direction. Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, it says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What in the world does that mean? to this Jewish woman. What does that mean? I have no idea what that means. And let me ask you something. Does it make you feel a little uncomfortable? What I mean, don't we live in a world of prejudice? Don't we live in a world of prejudice where people look and make assumptions about people, maybe where they live, or the job that they do, or the way that they act, or the the clothes that they wear? Don't we live in a world of prejudice where we make judgments on people based upon who they are and what they do? Don't we do that? Yes, we do. We do it all the time. And his... Is, is Jesus saying to this woman, I can't help you because you're not, you're not a Jewish person? Is, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Wouldn't we be appalled at that? Or maybe in Jesus' silence and maybe in Jesus' interaction, what he's trying to do is, is to draw something deeper to her, to us, and to the disciples at that particular point in time. I mean, imagine if you took your daughter to a hospital in the hospital, and she's really, really sick, and, and one of the nurses looked at your, your daughter, 
and they saw that she was different. Maybe she was a different race, and she said, I'm not going to help that person. Wouldn't we be appalled at that? Of course we would. And that Jesus seems to be making a statement here to her. What is this meaning only to the lost sheep of Israel? She perseveres. Matthew 15, verse 25 says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. God, I, I, I need some help. I'm, I'm in this desperate situation. I, I need, will you come to me? She's falling at his feet. Lord, will you help me? And then Jesus continues on with a conversation with her and takes her to a different level. Back in Mark chapter 7, it says this. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. How many of you are really lost right now? Don't you get lost, children? Yeah, thank you. Children's bread and dogs. What in the world is going on here? Who are the children? Who are the dogs? And by the way, did Jesus actually just refer to this Gentile woman in a derogatory as, as a dog? Did Jesus really say that? Remember, in the context of this, we're talking about the children of Israel. That Jesus says, I've come to the lost sheep of, of Israel. And in a broader context, I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's going to use this situation with this woman, the desperate situation that she's in, and what he's going to do is he's going to teach her something. He's going to teach a disciple something, and he's going to teach us something fundamental about his mission, and it's this. Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus came with a purpose. If you go back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus talked, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so what Jesus does, Jesus comes on the scene, and the central mission of who he is and what he's come to do is now being clarified to a Gentile and to the disciples about his focus at taking the gospel to the Jew first. There's a sense, there's an order of priority. The gospel must come to the Jewish people first. Why is that? Because when you look at the Old Testament, you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12, you go back to Genesis chapter 15, God had made a promise to Abraham. God had made a promise to the Jewish people about the son of David, to David. We have all of these wonderful promises in the Old Testament declaring who the Messiah would be. And Jesus comes on the scene, and this woman declares him to be the son of David, which is a messianic title. And what we have is Jesus clarifying his mission to the Jewish person absolutely first. I must take this message to the Jewish uh, person first, the Jewish people first, because that is what is promised in the Old Testament, that this Messiah would come and he would be a fulfillment of all the wonderful promises in the Old Testament. I need to show the Jewish people that there's not a mistake, that we've come to them first, and that all of these promises that have been given to David, the prophet, all of these promises, Isaiah, have come to be fulfilled in Jesus as the son of David. As an order of priority, I have come to feed the Jewish people first. That's what he's talking to her. I have come to help the Jewish people know and understand who I am, my identity, and to give teaching to them first so that they can embrace it and they can be full and they can understand the mission that they have to take that calling to live for God, Jesus, out into the world, if you will. L let me see if I can uh, illustrate this by something that happened yesterday. I imagine, if you will, all of our family came together, which they did. And imagine, if you will, we had this meal which we did, and we took our kids and we sat them down on the corner and we took all of the food and we took the food and we, and we gave it to our children first. We gave it to our children first. 
And then they or someone else began to take the food off of the table and put it on the ground to the two little dogs that were in tennis, our dog and somebody else. And they began to feed the dogs. How appropriate would that be? That would be absolutely inappropriate. Why? Because children need to be fed. Children need to be nourished. The people of Israel need to be fed. The people of Israel need to be nourished. And he's talking about to their full. They need to know and embrace who Jesus was as the Messiah. And there's an order of priority. We need to take the message to the Jewish people first. And you notice what she says? Listen to her reply in verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under that table eat the children's crumbs. In her pain and her suffering, she had come to Jesus and identified him as the Lord. Over and over, she uses that title. She identified him as the son, of, uh, the son of David, and she recognizes his authority, and she doesn't have a deep theological understanding of grace. What she knows is, I am a desperate woman, and I am in need of help. And I know that the, the children need to be fed, and I know that they need to be nourished. But when you sit at a table and you eat, a lot of times the crumbs are going to fall from the table and they're going to fall down. And all I want to do is I just want to be one of those on the ground that will grab one of your crumbs. I'm willing to grab on and hang on to one of your simple crumbs. And one of your simple crumbs is powerful enough, wonderful enough to help me in the situation that I find myself in. That's all I'm asking for is a little crumb. Will you help me? And Jesus helps her. He recognizes what's going on. He recognizes her faith. In our text, it says that she went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon God. What Matthew draws out is you are a woman of great faith. Go and your request is granted. Why? Because she absolutely persevered in her understanding of who Jesus was as Lord and as the son of David. And Jesus used his silence, he used his words, he used all of this to draw out his priority, if you will, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And the reason I draw this out, because simply this, that's the message that the disciples are going to have to carry with them. Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Over and over, they will be given the responsibility to take the message of the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. There's an order of priority in God's kingdom. And so what I think what's happening here with the disciples is they are getting to a point where they're understanding who Jesus is and his true purpose for coming. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a wise man. I'm not just someone who can come and, and radically change by the things that I would say. I'm the one who's come to give you a message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's the message that the disciples are to take with them. This woman is a, a woman of great faith because of her need. She's a woman of great faith because she's a woman who perseveres. And the last thing is on the board. She took Jesus at his word. She doesn't say, Jesus, give me proof. Jesus, will you come to my house? How am I going to? She just, she takes Jesus at his word. And she goes home and she finds Jesus has healed her daughter, just like you said. Do you take Jesus at his word? Do you take Jesus at his word? I, I think that's one of the lessons that we have here. Do we take Jesus at his word? It's had to rattle the cage of the disciples. They're in the wrong territory, a wrong person wrong everything and this woman comes and they watch this woman absolutely change in front of them 
as she responds to Jesus, an entirely different level, on a deeper level that they probably even thought or imagined. And what Jesus simply does is reconfirms his message to take the message of the gospel to all the world. And they're not going to get it yet. They won't get it till after Jesus has died. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that there are a lot of hard sayings in the Bible, and some of them we don't understand. But God, when we, when we take some time to look at the nature of who Jesus is, we look at his heart, we look at his teaching, we step back for a few minutes and look at the totality of who Jesus is and what he was doing in the lives of the disciples and the lives of people back then, we, we get an understanding of our role. Father, we may not fully understand all that you have revealed to us, but by faith, Lord, we want to come to you and we want to trust you for what you're doing, how you're working in our lives We want to trust you for your word. Father, thank you that in our desperation, uh, we can come to you and met our need and our our desire to, to have you come and alongside of and help us. Father, we don't want to be independent people of you. We want to be people who look to you and trust you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this woman of faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.